the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The great thing about the ancient alien theory is the fact that we can compare modern achievements with stories from our ancient past. And so, if today we're able to create a two-headed dog with six legs, is it possible that a similar creature existed thousands of years ago? And I say yes. And I'm thinking, God, why is not the power of God moving? He said, because you haven't kicked that woman in the face. And there's this older lady worshiping right in front of the platform. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The gift of faith came on me. He said, kick her in the face with your biker boot. I inched closer and I went like this. And just as my boot made contact with her nose, she fell under the power of God. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gons. Hey everybody, welcome again to Canary Cry Radio. Thanks for tuning in this week. My name's Basil. And I'm Gons, and we have for you today a brilliant couple. Uh, They are the voices of PID Radio, um, Peering Into Darkness Radio. And they've been very um, vital in my walk, and I know for a lot of people who listen uh, to the Revelations Radio Network, and it's Derek and Sharon Gilbert. How are you guys doing? No, we're doing great. Thanks yeah, for having us on today. Thank you very much. Well, we're excited to have you guys because um, personally, PID Radio and, and A View from the Bunker were very, very important shows and podcasts um, in my walk as I was trying to figure out you know, what's going on with the conspiracies and aliens and UFOs, and and but I just became a believer, and what does this all mean? And um, it was actually discovering L.A. Marzulli and then hearing L.A. on A View from the Bunker that opened me up to the community of Revelations Radio Network. Um, and thank you so much for doing what you guys do, because it, it really does um, make a difference. And I know it may not seem like it sometimes, you're just talking into a microphone, but it does make a difference. So just wanted to say thank you on a personal level. Um, but just to, to start off, can you guys give us a short history of uh, why you guys started PID Radio and, and, and then how, how you got involved with Revelations Radio Network? Well, it all started at a five kilowatt AM only <laughs> AM radio station in West Mifflin. Uh, no, uh, we started out looking for a way to market a series of novels that we had pitched to a uh, a, a Christian publishing Startup, company. Yeah. yeah, they were looking to uh, uh, bring out some cutting edge uh, Christian fiction, and it had been our belief for some time that uh, as science fiction fans, that, uh, that there's no reason that Christians can't read and enjoy science fiction. Most of it that's out there um, is written from a very humanist or transhumanist perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh, very well said. Um, so we, we pitched a series that uh, was picked up and um, looking for a way to you know break through the clutter out there and uh, make a name for ourselves on a, on a very low budget. Uh, we, we turned to the tools that we had at hand, which were couple of laptops and a couple of cheap headset microphones uh, and this new thing that had just been developed by Dave Weiner and Adam Curry called the podcast. This was in the spring of 2005. Uh, Curry and Weiner had just developed the, uh, uh, the XML format for RSS feeds uh, for podcasting in the fall of uh, 04. And so we did a show in March of 2005, a 30-minute program on why people should buy our novels. <laughs> I'm not sure it was even 30 minutes. It may have been 15. Yeah, something like that. And and then we thought, okay, we need to do this as a series so that we can you know have content that's updated and a website that's dynamic with new things, give people a reason to tune in and become part of a community and, and fans. And then week number two came around and we thought, okay, we've already told people why they should buy our books. What do we talk about now? <laughs> well, we could do that again. No. That no, that's boring. DM. So we decided to start talking about the things that motivated us to write and that's where we started getting into uh, some of the conspiracies and the the unexplained things that um, are, are so intriguing and perplexing to most people and again it's our view as as christians that if we believe in a god we say we believe in a god who is omnipotent omniscient omnipresent we should be able to address anything in this world and have a, a biblical answer for it um Right. That's sort of the attitude I had going, you know, looking into this stuff. And, and, and again, the first sort of year almost, I, I didn't really find 
solid, grounded Christians talking about it. You know, it was all the New Age folks talking about it, the Jordan Maxwells, David Ikes, those guys. Right. And it really confused me for a while because it was, you know, and I've said this several times, but it's, it, it was like there was one version of Jesus being portrayed through the New Agers, and then there was another version that I was hearing about on Sundays uh, and, and, you know, reading the Bible, and it was like, how does the two sort of relate, you know, and in, in light of all the other stuff with the aliens and stuff. So did you guys, you guys naturally had sort of a, a curiosity or, or I guess a, a fascination with, you know, conspiracies and, and uh, the supernatural just because you guys were science fiction writers. Well, I did. Uh, gosh, I've always liked that kind of stuff. I mean, as a kid, I wanted to watch the vampire movies and the werewolf movies and, and um, the mummy things and all of that. And I read that kind of stuff when I was in uh, um, what would be the equivalent, I guess, of middle school. We didn't have we didn't have that. We couldn't afford middle school when I was a kid. Um, but but um, started probably age 10, 11, I started reading science fiction. And, and that's where my natural, you know... Uh, I guess interests or curiosities like even though I've been a Christian since I was gosh probably three four years old uh, didn't actually make a public profession of it in our church until I was uh, nearly nine um, my parents just said I was too young at three or four to know what I was talking about right. uh, but I'm pretty sure that's when I actually made the commitment in my heart um, so I, I grew up Believing in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I never had a problem uh, with believing in the supernatural because, by definition, if we're believing in a Jewish carpenter who died on a cross and then rose again of his own accord three mm -hmm. days later, that's pretty supernatural. Right. So. Right. Christians, we should be able to just talk about that realm and have no problem with it at all. Absolutely. And I love the way Guy Malone puts it. He said, and that's the price of admission to this club. It's supposed to make more sense from there. <laughs> <laughs> now, can I just say, before we get too far into this, just because I, I don't want to have to try to switch back to um, this before we get too deep into something or other, but you, your guys' voices are made for radio slash podcasting okay now i god knew what he was doing when he set your your voices into your bodies and put you on your path here on earth and so if you kind of hear me disappear and i like stop talking it's probably because i've forgotten that i'm actually talking to you in person and thinking <laughs> that i'm like listening to your show so just as a disclaimer I'll put yeah. that out there. You're, you're very kind. You are very, very kind. You know, and honestly, I have to say the both of you have really good voices. Oh, goodness. Oh. And, oh, but the goodness. cool thing is you have actual substantive content, you know, that you discuss. Well, yeah, I was telling Gans before we started the, uh, the program, uh, Basil, that um, I had to drive to, for work down to uh, Evansville, Indiana, which is about a two-hour and 40, 45-minute ride from here, right. uh, and listen to Canary Cry Radio almost all the way down and all the way back. Uh, with the exception of maybe one hour taken out to listen to uh, Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak's uh, podcast, No Agenda, um, which and it was a really interesting contrast because you guys talk about the kind of really uh, conspiratorial stuff that Adam Curry loves to talk about. Right. It's really funny because I remember when MTV was like brand new and he was on with Nina Blackwood and JJ, whatever his name was, and, and the other guys. Um, and now hearing him talk about the same stuff we discuss all the time is really kind of trippy. Except that he doesn't quite get the answer. No. And, and Dvorak is kind of a crazy. Right. Love listening to Dvorak and have appreciated his work in the tech field for years, but uh, they don't quite get the answer. They don't quite understand that they're missing that final piece of the puzzle. Right. And so many people miss the answer. There's so many people that you can find on the forums. Uh -huh. um, the conspiracy forums on the internet, uh, followers of uh, certain conspiracy shows on the uh, the Patriot Radio Networks or whatever, and they're missing that final piece of the puzzle. Right. And right. I expect that's why so many of them are, are um, bitter, angry, yeah. scared. Uh, yeah. And, and exactly. People people will sometimes uh, say to us, "You guys are taking this stuff way too lightly because you guys are laughing all the time." But, <laughs> well, and that was kind of a, you know, uh, and I was listening to you guys and your approach, and, and Curry and Dvorak, they, they laugh a lot too. They're not, they're not uh, you know, ready to just 
call an end to it all. But but there are those out there who follow these conspiracies out there who who sound like they're ready to just go into a bunker and lock the door from the inside. Um, hey, you know our bunker is the split level at the end of the cul-de-sac. They know where we are, and we don't care. Right. Um, and I you know, hear the same kind of approach from from you two fellows, and it was really wonderful to hear. And that's why it was so easy to listen to you guys for, for like four hours in, in the course <laughs> of the day. It's really interesting stuff. Well, thank you, thank you very much. I don't know if I could listen to us for four <laughs> hours, so I appreciate that. <laughs> well, how did you guys get involved with Revelations Radio Network? Did you, did you guys jump on board? Is that how did you guys get you know, connected I just with? Can't remember? Do Frank, you remember? Well, yeah, I do. Frank Lordy contacted us. Okay, so sort of Frank, the same story as. I, I'm creating my own reality. Don't ask me to answer that question. <laughs> it's somehow just, I don't know, I deleted that file. She's running a sentient world simulation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. In about half. <laughs> <laughs> reboot before the end of the show. Uh, but uh, Frank Lordy sent us a, a note out of the blue. And, uh, you know, at first we were like, well, I don't know, because, uh, you know, we didn't know Frank. And, and we've been very cautious about um, aligning officially with, with anybody because right. we experimented a little bit. And this is, you know, frankly, my fault, um, you know, my radio background thinking we had to be broadcast from a transmitting tower someplace in order to right. be officially official radio. Right. You know, instead of thinking, hey, with this internet thing, we're internationally syndicated. Don't. Yeah, right. I wasn't, you know, Sharon is very patient with me because she got it right from the first. But we experimented with one of the Patriot Networks for a month. We did four shows uh, and then decided to call it quits. And uh, it was mainly because um, the commercials that were inter- interpolated into the show were for <laughs> products that we really couldn't feel good about associating with really uh, like like what for instance well nutraceuticals of dubious value um, right right you know and, and basically uh, preaching a, a salvation through uh guns and gold that was a lovely series of words i must say <laughs> what, what was it uh why did you just say the new nutraceuticals of dubious value? Yeah, there we go. Nutraceuticals of dubious value. And you know what? You should see him when he says it because he's so cute. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. They're going to be vomiting on that. <laughs> Projectiles. Look, most people do when they uh, listen to our show. Yeah, my brothers in law hate my guts. <laughs> you know, they really do. They just hate seeing Derek show yeah, up. Yeah. Oh, Sharon's right. sisters, you know, their husbands are like, you know, cut it out. You're making us look bad. <laughs> but boy, does he say nutraceuticals of dubious value. No. Uh, so, anyway, that uh, was. was why we, we opted not to uh, to affiliate with a network uh, or, or to uh, you know try to buy our way onto uh, uh, a network. We just didn't feel comfortable going that route. Uh, we just felt uh, we'll, we'll use the internet. Um, my, my opinion is most of the people who listen to those Patriot networks aren't listening via shortwave radio anyway. Um, I mean, we know a lot of conspiracy folks, and I can't name one person aside from us that owns a shortwave radio right? <laughs> and, we, and we never use it. No. So if the internet is the means of delivery anyway, then why not just you know do our own thing and let people find it as needed? But uh, did a little looking and, and it com- we communicated back and forth with Frank a little bit about his vision and what he planned to do. And uh, you know, we said, well, look, as, as long as it's um, not... Uh, you know, the, the shows themselves aren't tampered with, then, then fine. And... Uh, he and then Chris White have shown, I think, uh, a lot of discernment on um, who they bring on. We don't all agree on all topics, but uh, we agree on the, the core uh, tenets of the faith. And so um, right. we have a problem with uh, you know, calling ourselves part of that group. Right. Well, that's something I love about uh, uh, folks in our genre is that I think we're the best people at um, getting along even though – we might believe some severely different things, you know, because we, we understand the core and we're down with the core. But because we, we talk about such, I don't know, for lack of a better word, crazy things, um, <laughs> it's almost, we're almost more well-grounded in our craziness than some people are in their quote-unquote orthodoxy or now, whatever. That's a really good that's turn a, of phrase, yes, too. Well-grounded in our craziness. <laughs> 
See, that should be your tagline on your show. You guys can use that one if you want. <laughs> we, may, we may add that to the uh, website. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Let's see. Uh, patent pending. Yes. Karen Gilbert. But you make a good point. At the uh, the uh, Prophecy Summit at Branson, we had a real interesting roundtable discussion with Rob Skiba and Doug Hamp uh, and L.A. Marzulli on the topic of the Nephilim. And um, we got into the discussion over the second incursion. Where did the... Uh, the giants after the flood come from. And um, you, you may know that uh, Doug and, and Rob uh, have a fundamental disagreement over where they come from after the flood. Right, right. Uh, it, was a, it was a spirited debate, but, uh, you know, afterwards there were all smiles and handshakes. And, uh, you know, Rob and, and Doug have no problem sitting down and, and uh, breaking bread and, and talking uh, in, in a you know cordial manner. But it was pretty funny during, during the discussion when Rob was saying, see, now you take the Strong's Concordance, and you know, Doug just sort of muttered up under his breath, you know, Strong's isn't everything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because Doug afterwards <laughs> jokingly was like, that Derek Gilbert, he brought it up again, you know, because I think it happened <laughs> twice, right? <laughs> well, you know, I think it was worth, uh, worth discussing because you know so too. people are discussing. And I knew that Doug and Rob could discuss the issue and not get into fisticuffs over it. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they understand that this is, this is an ancillary issue. This is not one uh, that, that uh, y- you can disagree over and uh, be sure that one party or the other is not going to make it, you know, into uh, in eternity, you know, on the right side of the fence. Right. Um, we the can pro- disagree over that and be happy to find out, you know, who was wrong when we get into glory. So, right. Probably helps that there's not a grant money at stake either, too. <laughs> you know, you've really put your... That is so true. And I think that not only grant money, but there are so many who are making their livings, sadly, based upon book sales. And if, you know, if they've got 30 years or 40 years history of selling a book on a certain topic, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to come off that mountain and say, you know, I may have been a little bit wrong on that. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right. Now, when you say they're making their living on book sales, sadly, is that sadly for them or sadly for... No, no. I here, Here's how I see that. Derek and I are big believers, and I know that there are some in, in our genre, if you want to call it that, or in our circle, uh, which, praise God, is getting larger and larger, uh, right. that that do make their, their living selling books or selling books that they published for others. Mm-hmm. Um my problem is when you are so invested in making sure that your livelihood comes from a, your personal opinion that right. you are blinded to the possibility that mm-hmm. your opinion may not be 100% correct. Right. Uh, I think that that's where the problem comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek and I, honestly, we, we, may, we make a dollar here and a dollar there, you know, on book sales. And I'm literal about that. We make a dollar here mm-hmm. and a dollar there on book right. sales. Uh, praise the Lord. He has given Derek a really fine income that allows us to just try to give everything away. Right. And, and as long as we're able to do that, we will continue doing that. But, you know, if he were to take away Derek's job tomorrow and say, okay, you guys are going full-time ministry, then, to be honest, we would have to make our living on it. But right. to do so at the cost of truth, nah, I'm not so sure. Yeah. And it may be a, a pride issue as much as anything else. Somebody, yeah. you know, just it's, it's really difficult to look yourself in the mirror one day and say, you know, everything I thought I knew is wrong. Yeah. Um, right. And... Uh, there may be, and I can't say that I know anyone in the circle in which we travel who... who I don't know anyone in that circle that, that has that. Exactly. Right. But, exactly. but certainly you, you know of cases out there where there are people who just refuse to admit that someone else, say in, in the field of, of, of uh, uh, research paleontology. science. Paleontology. Or paleontology. I mean, right. That, right. What yeah. my, my background before I came into this sort of odd world is in academia. And... I know a lot of professors whose livelihood, literally, you know, being able to remain in their professorship and sometimes the the chair that they occupy is based upon their opinion in book sales. Right. I was actually going to ask you about that, Sharon, because um, I know you, you you have that background in biology, if I'm not mistaken. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think it's really your sort of knowledge of that has helped 
uh, it's helped me understand anyway, things like transhumanism and just the genetic alterations happening today and, and everything like that. But just, just as a, this is sort of a personal curiosity, but what's, what is your opinion on evolutionary biology? Like how, how do you, as a Christian, uh, do you believe that it happened or, I mean, you know, and, and then the sort of the second part of the question is, do you believe that there's sort of some kind of, uh, well, obviously it sounds like you do. <laughs> Uh, that's not going to work. work. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That question's been voted down. Yeah. He didn't like that question. <laughs> you can Here's your dog named Darwin. Okay. What was I saying? <laughs> I don't remember what I was talking well, about. Well, actually, you were asking if I, you know, believe in evolution. And the answer is no. Okay. Not as defined by the evolution crowd. I had to take several evolution classes in order to complete my degree. And I had to write down the answers that they chose. I inevitably said according to the theory of evolution this is the answer mm, and, right. and that caused them to very quickly figure out there's something about her and they would actually call me in class and say miss ferguson could you stand up and tell us how christians feel about this one wow and, uh, I, I was happy to tell them, and I, I don't think that they're correct. I do not believe in one species evolving into a higher life form, so to speak. Right, right, right. However, I do believe that our genetic code is subject to uh, environmental pressure and other pressures, and so because of that, mutations take effect, and you'll observe at what what is called adaptation. Right. right. And I guess the, the tail end of the question before uh, uh, Tucker jumped in um, – was that so? You you do believe that there's some sort of scientific, I guess, for lack of a better term, a scientific dictatorship, sort of a a structure Ooh. made, a uh, systematic continuation of a of a lie, basically, to uphold academia. It's sort of like what you're talking about with people in certain chairs. They they are invested in evolution, right? And right. if they uh, decry evolution as being false god. They will not continue in academia. That's interesting. If you want to teach, if you want to be a professor, if you want to succeed in the world of quote unquote science, then you will, uh, you know, endorse evolution. In fact, there was recently, I can't remember which one it was, I think it was last year's, uh, was it Miss USA pageant? And there was a big hue and cry afterward because the gal who won was the one contestant who answered that she did believe in evolution. Hmm. And so there was this big question afterward, is that why the judges voted for her? Hmm. I I think the next question should be then, uh, if the others are professing to believe in in creation, why? With the follow-up being, and if you're truly a Christian, why are you in this contest? Well, (laughs) that's another topic altogether, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. To pay for my college education. <laughs> and to possibly get into movies. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and I'm actually kind of interested in this paleontology little subject that came up. Is is that something that that uh, you are familiar with? Uh, very basically, yeah. Very that wasn't basically. my my field or anything, but you know, I had to. Right. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I, here and there through my travels on the the world wide web here um i uh you know we start finding that paleontology is just a mess right now yeah for so what many was that story that you saw you, you sorry about that to no. interrupt no, no, you no, saw no. a story yesterday derek about some sort of scandal about bones uh, skeletons that oh well the, the headline the headline made me think that there was a, something to do with the misidentification of a, a uh, a, a, a theropod, um, a t- cousin to the T. Rex, uh, and actually, what it was is uh, somebody had put a, a skeleton which had been constructed from the bones, uh, but from bones taken from Mongolia, um, and the the Mongolian government, with the help of the U.S. attorney in Manhattan, has filed a lawsuit against the uh, guy who was selling this uh, specimen and got like one point three million dollars for it uh, at an auction. Um, because uh, the the nation of Mongolia doesn't ha- has a, a, a laws against uh, taking dinosaur bones out of the country. They're considered a national treasure there, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. I can't, Mongolia doesn't have a whole lot else except sand. Right. <laughs> and uh, this collector somehow got the bones out, and the the, uh, the claim is, or what they're trying to prove in court, that this uh, skeleton was 
no more than 70% complete, and the bones were from different specimens. And in other words, they didn't smuggle the whole skeleton out at once. But uh, the way the headline read, it made it sound as though this was a, uh, a chimera, uh, sort of like the old Brontosaurus, which never was. The Brontosaurus was actually the, uh, uh, the skull of a different dinosaur put on the, uh, the neck of a chimerasaurus. And uh, so now right. we think of it as the Brontosaurus is a, uh, actually a, an apatosaurus. Um, but that wasn't the story. Again, the story was about this legal fight launched by the government of Mongolia to reclaim this, this skeleton that's, that's being sold. So, right. Um, right. And I mean, this is something we can, we're probably just going to touch on because I don't think anybody was prepared for this. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always coming across something like, oh, well, now we discovered that uh, velociraptors actually were bird-like and had feathers. Um, and the Neanderthal man was actually loosely based on a bone that ended up being a pig's tooth. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's just stuff like yeah. that. It just seems like the whole field. Well, there's so much money to be made on it. There are scams aplenty out right. there. Um, you just have to be really, really careful on believing. And, and sadly, these things, like with the brontosaurus, are being taught to school children exactly. as if they are fact. Yeah. Right. And, and there, was a, there was a study that was done by a, an expert uh, paleontologist uh, from uh, a university in Australia, University of Adelaide, uh, in late 2004, where he went through the 200 existing skeletons of, of pre-humans and uh, did measurements on, on, you know, cranial measurements on them and found that uh, when you uh, graph the, uh, the range of, of measurements he came up with against the, the range uh, found in, in modern humans, you know, homo sapiens, that they all fall within the bell curve for homo sapiens. In other words, all of these austro- mm-hmm. australopithecines and uh, Neanderthals and Cro-Magnon are all, all homo sapiens. But as Sharon right. said, there's a lot of grant money at stake there. So there are always um, uh, uh, researchers and, and paleontologists who are trying to make a name for themselves by being the one to find the next new species. And this was about the time that uh, back in o- late '04, where they came out with the, uh, the so-called hobbits that they discovered in, uh, in Java, mm-hmm. the island right. of Java. Uh, but this story that uh, should have been, I, I thought, big news... Uh, came out the same day as that killer tsunami in uh, Indonesia. And so uh, the story, you know, got no attention, of course, because uh, the tsunami was the big story for months after that. But, well, uh, you know, a skeptical person might uh, look at that timing and say, hmm. how convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we've had some communication with a professional um, paleontologist who teaches in academia now um, afterward who said, well, that's not exactly what the study means and what it actually, you know, so... Uh, you know, there is th- disagreement, yeah, right, within the community as to what that study actually said. So, right, and I mean, it, even down to things like you know, different fossils from different time periods being found in different layers of sediment, mm-hmm. and um, carbon dating being mm-hmm. a complete, uh, you know, shot in the dark when it comes to you know being uh, accurate and dating. Accurate, yeah, accurate. It, and dating. Well, that's true. It really is a shot in the dark. I mean, that's a good way to put it. But when I was in, you know, class and we discussed how car- radiocarbon fourteen dating is done, it was taught as if it were, you know, absolutely mm-hmm. core science. You can believe it every time. It's as reliable as waking up in the morning and and finding the sun. Right. Right. And it it becomes the go to. Um, argument for people I'm talking to about these things. Mm-hmm. They go, oh, well, carbon dating. And really, they know nothing about carbon dating outside what they've heard on Jurassic Park. You yeah. know? It, it's like, it's almost just like something that you can point to and say, carbon dating. Mm-hmm. Michael that. Crichton taught me all I need to know. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, you know, and I really, I really would have thought that the discovery of soft tissue preserved in the leg bone of the T-Rex would have been a, another uh, you know, smoking gun, or at least something that would cause people to question the, the official timeline. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right. And again, this uh, professional that uh, I, I've communicated with in recent weeks said, well, really, that's not all un- that unusual. Uh, and he, in fact, was doing some work on uh, fossilized clams that had some soft tissue preserved in it. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Are now, you when, listening to what you're saying? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I trust that this guy, you know, he understands what, what he's been taught very well. Uh, but, but when I was reading so the, the research on it uh, that was done from a, from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. from a creationist perspective, uh, it was pretty clear that uh, scientists up until this Discovery of this T. Rex leg bone, which was uh, widely publicized in 05, uh, 2005, 
was that they knew of no process that would preserve soft tissue for more than a few thousand years, even if frozen. So, mm-hmm. right. you know, the, the response uh, of the, the academic community, though, was, hey, what do you know? Now we know that soft tissue can be preserved for 65 million years. Yes, I know. Exactly. It's just exactly. so, so unscientific. It drives me crazy. Yeah. It drives yeah. me crazy because yeah. it, it loses, it's losing, um, uh, it loses, what's the word I'm trying to think of? This always happens to me. Credibility. It's losing credibility for the scientific community. And when they're trying to take credibility away from Christians, so now we have the believers and the scientists put at odds for really no reason but human, you know, pride and and just nonsense. Mm-hmm. It just drives me completely bonkers. Well, it's really, really sad when they insist, this is what is true, this is what you will learn, or you will not pass this course. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. If, if you make this public profession of, of belief, you're, you're going to lose tenure, or you will be denied yeah. tenure. Yeah, because clearly you're not qualified to understand science. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and just one last thing before before we sort of drift away, um, that's the thing of fossilization, you know, and and the the complete. Um, uh, disregard for the actual amount of time it takes for something to fossilize. You know, there's a, a there's the mine shaft uh, collapse in Australia, and they go through and they dig it up about fifty hundred years later. I can't remember exactly what the story was, but they go and they start clearing out this mine shaft, and they find a fossilized hat, a, a, a mining hat hmm. that had been fossilized in the pressure of you know this this mine collapse. And, you know, and so you have this fossilized hat, which is obviously not billions of years old. Um, and then they do carbon dating on the hat. And it says that the hat is like 80,000 years old or something. It's time travel. Don't you know? People are going back in time. It, it was a time travel accident where they, he time traveled underground. Yes. Yeah. Up there. That's well, really that's the, the best way to do it. Anyway. That's, that's the tragedy when you materialize inside a solid. That's really... <laughs> oh, I know. And, and fossilize there. <laughs> Dinosaurs yeah. on a spaceship. That's what you want. <laughs> I want to I take this conversation and sort of rabbit trail into something even deeper because I feel like Let's all of it. these sort of... Um, it's, I guess not the crumbling of science, but kind of uh, the... Like Basil said, sort of this paleontology being a mess and all this stuff. Do you think all of this is sort of a setup to maybe an, a, you know, a grand ancient discovery or, you know, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about, you know, potential life on Mars, some sort of paradigm shift that's going to be part of the great deception. What's your opinion on how uh, sort of these end times situations are going to play out? You know, it's, there, there's such a, a wide spectrum uh, of, of potential directions that this could go. Um, yeah, certainly the education system is, is set up to, um, to, to get the public to believe that um, science has an answer for everything. Um, right. E- even, the, even spiritual questions, because we see with the uh, uh, you know, groups like the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which was... Uh, uh, you know, made famous in Dan Brown's Lost Symbol. And everybody thought the Freemasons were going to be the star of that book, and they were the MacGuffin. It was the Institute of Noetic Sciences that were really, you know, right. the, yeah. uh, you know Edgar Mitchell, the, uh, uh, the astronaut, was one of the co-founders of the, uh, uh, the group with a fellow named Paul Temple, who incidentally was also a major contributor to the, um, the, the was it the Brotherhood? The, the family. The family. The family. Yes. Which is the group that sponsors the National Prayer Breakfast every year. Mm, right. The Presidential Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. So just bear that in mind when, when Christians start getting all up in arms that, uh, you know, the president doesn't want to hold the National Prayer Breakfast, that the guy, a major financer or financier of the group that sponsors it is also the co-founder of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which, uh, as Dr. Future described it brilliantly, I thought, is uh, researching scientific ways to get possessed. Wow. Yeah, demonically possessed. Um, Repossessed. Now, yeah. Uh, so, 
for, right from the get-go, culture is indoctrinating us. This, our society in which we are soaking is indoctrinating us to look for scientific answers, even to spiritual questions. Right. Uh, look for scientific answers to our origins. Uh, and when uh, paleontology breaks down and we can't prove it through the evolutionary process, then we turn to the gospel of Giorgio Crazy Hair Guy <laughs> and the ancient alien uh, yeah. explanation. Right. I'm not saying it's aliens. <laughs> it's aliens. <laughs> so, so the, the, it's it's like it's like the it's like spiritual sand is being thrown in our eyes to blind us to the one truth. I mean, the enemy doesn't care what we believe as long as it's not the truth right, about right. the way. Um, anything else is acceptable, even if it's you know off by enough that we believe that it's our own works that get us there. Uh, you know that. You know, is is better than having us believe solely in uh, salvation by grace, uh, you know, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, you know, anything. So uh, now, when you, when you look at the potential explanations that people will accept, other than uh, faith in Jesus Christ alone, you know, we could come up with with all kinds of scenarios. We we could we come up with uh, you know a a, uh, a the, the enemy. Creating a a false uh, landing, you know, w- with uh, bogus UFO and, and and fake aliens coming out to say, "Hey, we're your ancestors and we're back." Uh, to um, a, you know, a, any number of potential scenario that that seems to be the one that that we're, that is most likely based on the cultural indoctrination, and not just through the yeah. education system, but right. through through uh, pop, uh, you know, entertainment, right? Uh, you know, movies and television programs. Um, but there, you know, there, there's the transhumanist movement as well, in which we we achieve, uh, you know, apotheosis by becoming more than what we are. Um, right. And that's so, yeah. yeah. We definitely talk about that a lot on on this show, and and that's that was a partial question that I had was, do you think that it's something that the church at large should be at least talking about, or do you think we're just sort of flailing our arms and, and it's kind of a pointless conversation because we, I, I've come across folks who are in church who are, you know, very strong, faithful believers. And they, you know, when I bring up something like transhumanism, they kind of have a concern, but they're just sort of like, eh, you know, it's not a real important topic. Well, I'll, I'll, let me tell you this. I think Jesus was concerned about his people, uh, his, his, the body of Christ being aware of, of the lies. Right. He, went to great lengths in Matthew, is it 25, where he, he was saying, uh, if he's here, if they say he's here, don't go there. If they say he's over here, don't go there. And he talks about the vultures gathering in the desert. Uh, he wants to make sure that we know ahead of time, and, and it's clear through prophecy, he's told us ahead of time what to expect. I think it's important that not only believers be well-versed in prophecy, but also be well-versed in anti-prophecy. Right. Mm. We need to know what's really coming so we can tell other people and help them to understand the books of the Bible that refer to uh, things yet to come. But we also need to be versed in what the enemy is going to be throwing at us because there are many Christians out there who, they're true believers, but they are baby Christians. They've been, you know, eating, you know, just baby food for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when the enemy comes along, they could get swallowed up whole. Right. It's, right. Uh, it's like you said before, God, that's Matthew 24, by the way. 24, 28, yeah. I was close. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, zip code. Uh, but it's like you said before, Ghani, that um, you, you, as a new Christian, we're hearing one Jesus preached on Sunday morning and then another one fed to you by the culture through the rest of the week. And that's the uh, sort of History Channel, uh, Nat Geo, Discovery Channel Jesus that, uh, that we get uh, on our television programs. Uh, the Jesus who was possibly an alien right. or possibly just deluded. Uh, and the real gods are the ones that, uh, you know, Ezekiel saw flying, you know, the wheel within the wheel. Right. Who right. planted us on earth and, mm-hmm. and tinkered with our DNA. And... You know, I can understand L.A. Marzulli's frustration when they had the, the flap with the UFOs spotted near Stephenville, Texas, and people were 
stunned because here was something that was completely outside their, their paradigm. They, they had no frame of reference for what they were seeing. And the churches, even though L.A. Uh, you know, offered to go down at his own expense and speak and to say, here is what you are seeing. Mm. You know, it could be a government project, but if it's not a government project, and this is something that is outside of the science that you and I know, here is what we know about this phenomenon. And then go through the messages that are consistently reported by contactees and abductees, how that squares with Scripture, and then what we know about the abilities of fallen angels, um, you know, the kind of work that, uh, that uh, Paradox Brown has done into, you know, what, what they do and, 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 and what they, how they can manifest and how they can deceive people into perceiving things that aren't really there. Right. Uh, the abductee, contactee phenomenon. And, and again, compare all of that against Scripture. And give people a frame of reference so that uh, if they are confronted by something like this, they can address it. Or if they've already seen something like this, they can now have a mental file cabinet in which to put it away and, and accurately file it away. So this is a deception from the enemy. Uh, there are people out there who are, as you say, good, faithful believers who, when confronted with something that they cannot explain through their 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 Sunday school level understanding of theology will junk it and try to mm-hmm. I- embrace a new worldview that does explain this. And if the right. only guy who's been explaining it to him is the guy with the crazy hair on the History Channel, <laughs> that may be what they believe. That's right. you are so right. There is a hunger out there, even within the church. There is a huge hunger and it needs to be fed and if crazy hair george giorgio is the only one feeding them that's the the doctrine that young believers and unbelievers are going to assume we've got you know uh, preteens and teenage girls who are falling for the vampire line Mm -hmm. and it amazes me and it really disheartens me that so many christian families are letting their daughters read that tripe and, and and for some reason, some of this stuff is even sold in Christian bookstores. It just kills me mm-hmm. that that this stuff is being uh, force fed our children, and it's not from a Christian worldview. Right? It, right. Okay, she's a virgin. Yeah, she's not slept with him yet, so, so she must be you know like a believer or something. Yeah. No, it's, so excuse it's, me. It's moral. It's a, it's a good moral tale because he won't uh, you know touch her until she's married him. No, excuse me, your daughter is lusting after a vampire. (laughs) That's why she's reading the book. Excuse me. I just imagine you (laughs) coming up to just the pair of parents. Um, Excuse me. Oh, it's happened. It's happened. (laughs) I have, uh, look, I've done it because I've got people in my family and my friend circle whose kids have been reading those books and oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't get invited to those parties anymore. Yeah, Sharon goes all Pentecostal. <laughs> it's a tough life. I know how it is. Well, it's funny because there's uh, there's so many things you guys said there that I just totally feel. Some other concerns, I suppose, are just within the church, the different um, teachings that are from the outside. I guess they would appear Christian, but certainly not. You know, Rick Joyner, uh, Todd Bentley. Interestingly, I bought early and early on was I was trying to sort of figure out what was going on. I went to a Christian bookstore and um, I went to sort of the charismatic section and I found a book by Todd Bentley. I had no idea who he was or anything like that. That was probably my fault for not researching. But I picked up the book and I started reading it and literally a page into it. I thought this is there's something not right about this. Uh, because he was talking about, oh, you know, I had a vision and I got taken up to the third heaven and uh-huh. and there I was in the sea, I saw the sea of glass and, and, you know, all this stuff. And I'm going, is he just sort of being, you know, is he being allegorical or is, is it literal? And then he starts talking about his angel and all this stuff. So, mm-hmm. okay, something's not right. So I look it up and it was right after he had some, uh, he took off with some woman in the congregation or something. I can't remember exactly what okay. happened. It's during, it's during the Lakeland revival. When, the disaster uh, ended the Lakeland revival. Sure. Right. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, it wasn't too much later that I discovered, you know, everything VFTB and, and PID radio and everything. And then you had brought up, um, I think you did a whole, I don't know if it was a whole episode or not, but you had brought up, uh, Todd Bentley and Jack, uh, Rick Joyner and, and some of this, these movements that were happening within the church that was sort of, not, uh, you know, in dominionism and things like that. I had no idea, uh, but it made a lot of sense to me. And 
it's sort of weird because as a new Christian being exposed to that already was, was very eye opening too, because I started sort of seeing it in my own church and I don't know, I, I felt like it was either I'm really going off the deep end or, you know, even as a very young believer there, I, I noticed something wrong or not wrong necessarily, but <clears throat> sort of, uh, headed in the wrong direction, if you will, uh, even right. within sort of the institutionalized church system. So for those of our listeners who aren't familiar may not have uh, listened to that particular episode, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Gans is talking about? <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a hyper-charismatic movement within the Christian church in America that believes they have been commissioned by God himself as um, modern-day apostles and prophets. I mean, capital A, apostle, capital P, prophet, mm-hmm. with all of the uh, authority and power of the, the biblical apostles and prophets, and that they are called to serve as God's government on earth. Uh, and so it is their responsibility to take over planet earth so that Jesus can return because he will not, or perhaps cannot return until we establish dominion over the planet. And they insist that there needs to be a paradigm shift within the church uh, to a different way of thinking, that the way the Holy Spirit has led us to believe and think for 2,000 plus years needs to be revamped. Mm-hmm. Now, what sort of dominion do you, are you talking about here? They're, they're talking about actually having um, governmental authority and spiritual authority over, uh, what, it, there's an approach within this movement called the 7M or 7 Mountains approach, 7 Mountains Mandate. Um, and you can even find a, a website out there that uh, it's seven mountains, numeral seven mountains.com or something like that. I'm going to look it up here so I don't steer you to the wrong site. But uh, it, uh, it, it, the, the theory is this, and this is based on a vision that, uh, that Bill Bright, co-founder of uh, Campus Crusade, uh, allegedly have had uh, in which God showed him seven mountains of culture on which human society is built. And that's like uh, arts and entertainment and business and uh, education, family, government. Did they just add science? Was that the... Science was a new one that was just added in, I think, uh, because I think they added uh, arts uh, arts and entertainment together as one, because I think previously arts was one, entertainment was another. Uh, But anyway, there were seven mountains all together. And they believe it is the duty of Christians to establish authority, dominion over those seven mountains. Mountains, government, family, business, education, religion, um, all of it, and uh, serve as God's government. And these apostles and these prophets will be God's literal government on earth uh, so that uh, when Jesus returns, you know, he will already have a governmental hierarchy in place with which to rule. And there, there are, you know, some more extreme examples of that, but that in a nutshell is, uh, is what this is all about. Yeah, I think reclaim7mountains.com is one of them. And, that's, uh, that's, that's the one. And, and under arts and entertainment, there's this really creepy face there. But, uh, you know, this was something, Basil, I was going to actually talk to you about because uh, very interestingly, he, Basil for our church did a little video for um, uh, the National Day of Prayer this year. And I believe they, they, heard, they were handing out a pamphlet and, and there was... I believe it was like the same thing. It was praying for the seven sectors of society or something like that. And yeah. And do you remember that Basil? You made the video. I yeah. Remember you made the video. Yeah. Yeah, I did that. Um, the one with the words on it, <laughs> <laughs> the, the moving words, the one the, with the words and the ethereal music that puts you in a trance. Right. Good job on that. Um, yeah, I was into that, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's interesting how that sort of correlates. And then at the same time, um, I think we were, uh, there was a, a past episode that Basil and I did that we looked at Svali and some of her experiences growing up um, allegedly in an Illuminati family. And they, they even had the same division, you know, uh, the same stuff with, you know, arts and entertainment, business, education, slash science, government, media, religion, whatever, all that stuff. They even had different sectors where they operated. And, you know, some people had emphasis on a certain a sector and then others had others, but I think it's interesting how there's this sort of overall perception of how to conquer the world, if you will, you know, and there's like this mandate to do it. And again, you know, 
uh, very yeah, disturbing that it's a Christian. Mission. We're not told to go out and and reclaim seven mountains. We are told to preach the gospel. Right. right. And, and I have no doubt that if we were able to reclaim dominion over those seven aspects of culture, you know, arts and entertainment and the media, business, education, family, government, religion, it helps having the notes on the screen, uh, the, uh, yes. we, that we would, in fact, control uh, human life. But that would essentially mean having to impose uh, biblical morality on people who don't believe in the God of the Bible. And what did Rick Joyner have to say about that? Well, he said at first it will seem like totalitarianism. <laughs> we've, we've referenced this quote a couple of times, and this is you can still find this posted at the Elijah List today. Uh, it's a statement, a piece that he wrote a couple of years back. Uh, the Elijah List is sort of like the uh, mailing list for visions and mm-hmm. words that uh, you know these so-called prophets claim that they've been given by God. And, and Rick Joyner said that at first, uh, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it up in front of me, but he said at first it would feel like totalitarianism until people learn how to live, basically. Yeah. And then they could uh, you know, move to greater areas of uh, control, or lesser and lesser control, rather, uh, once they learn how to live. But what he's describing is totalitarianism. It sounds like the Ministry of Love in Oceana <laughs> in 1984. It, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, it really does. Well, even uh, the Huffington Post has an article about that. Back in September 14, 2009. Mm-hmm. May seem like totalitarianism. That's how they quote it. Yeah, and that's that's uh, was Rick Joyner. Uh, you, you know, th- there are two paths to totalitarianism. Uh, one is to impose it by you know, taking over the, the planet and forcing people who don't believe to live by our rules, which was never what Jesus called the, the disciples to do. In fact, he said the opposite. If anyone won't listen to your message, Shake the dust from that town from this from your sandals and move on to another town. Yeah. Leave them be to their fate. Jesus told them what their fate would be. He said it'll be worse for you on that day than it was for uh, you know Sodom. Uh, you know it. it, it he, he the the consequences are not in this time space continuum. There will be a price to be paid, but those are you know on God's timetable, not ours. Right. Uh, the other path to totalitarianism, of course, is to withdraw from the world in our own little enclaves and you know completely withdraw and and not influence the world at all, uh, and then let the enemy sort of have sway in all of these areas of culture. Um, we are to influence those around us by sharing the gospel and demonstrating the love of Christ to them, but not by trying to tell them how they have to live. Yeah. And honestly, that's that's where I think. I, I've tend, I tend to part company with some in the Christian community, and we're talking about those that are, you know, lobbying politics and things for um, to, to repeal Roe v. Wade. I detest abortions. I think abortions are absolutely wrong, but I think that approaching, you know, that sin, frankly, politically, is it's just not going to work. You have right. to change people's hearts you cannot legislate christianity true christianity right you have to deal one person at a time and and you know spread the gospel according to the the means that you have and the opportunities you have and let the holy spirit take it from there right yeah and i mean even just historically we know that um you know the theocracies um, are, are just as much of a mess as paleontology is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, You know, technically speaking, you speaking of theocracies, I, technically speaking, uh, the United Kingdom is a theocracy. Mm-hmm. All right. Because the Queen of England literally, and, and you can even say this about many of the, the kingdoms uh, around Europe, and even in other countries, that technically the mandate comes from God. God put mm. her on that throne. Therefore, she represents, she's almost like the Pope. Mm, she right, represents right. the Church of England and God. Right. Hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. The nation That's definitely def- doesn't, at least at this point in in. And history no. doesn't reflect they're, that. Uh, there, are, there are some wonderful believers in the UK. They of re- course. There really are. But, you know, like any country, you know, for the most part, they've, uh, most countries are secular. Mm-hmm. And, and secular humanist. Yeah, definitely. Boy. I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Um, because, and, and just to make the distinction, uh, uh, the Queen of England 
being more of an extension of God's hand rather than, um, you know, the leader of God's appointing at, you know, a certain point in time. Because, I mean, people could say that, you know, uh, every leader of every country, you know, is there because God has allowed them to be. Well, I suppose you could say that, but they say by heredity, they have, what is believed, the crowned heads of many countries say that their mandate comes directly from God. Right, that they are divine, sort of like like the empire of uh, Japan. Yes, exactly. Right. Which I think they, I think recently uh, sort of revealed like, uh, actually, yeah, we're not descendants of gods. Because I think that was what they were, at least in Japan, uh, from what I understand, they were saying that, um, you know, the, the royal family are descendants of gods. They weren't, they're not like human, but then, you know. Well, I think that, in ancient that, Egypt, they, I'm, I'm not so sure that they, they, they even claim to be descended from gods all, although George Otskalis would argue that they, they, <laughs> He would argue that he is the descendant of... Uh, that hair alone, <laughs> I think, is a descendant from, from something. But, but, but they claimed that they had a pipeline, a direct pipeline to God or, you know, the god or the goddess, either Osiris or Isis, and they were the embodiment of that god or goddess on earth. Right. And that right. that makes so much sense if you look at you know historically the sort of the ancient mystery religious system that sort of secretly kind of continued on and I think infiltrated all sorts of secret societies like the Freemasons and all this. Uh, and then you look at eugenics just in the last century. Um, I think it all ties together. You know, it seems mm-hmm. like it's nothing's really changed a whole lot really, you know, nothing's new under the sun. It's really true. <laughs> Uh, I think the same sort of agenda, and it's Satan's agenda from the garden, that he, you know, got started there is still going on. And it's it's just very strange when you start looking at some of these things and you realize that yeah, nothing's changed. We haven't really gotten, I mean, we've gotten better at using tools and whatnot, but as far as the human soul, the, the condition of the heart, it really has not changed since the garden. No. Right. Okay. That's, so that's one thing I just it amazes me about the New Age movement that they feel that somehow we're going to you know improve ourselves to the point because mm-hmm. you know clearly we're so much better and more enlightened than they mm-hmm. were three thousand years ago yeah. that uh, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's what the eugenics movement was. Um, well said, there, Gandhi. Yeah. That that really has its roots in the garden, even though it didn't begin right. until the mid to late nineteenth century. Right. Right. So going from there, I'm just curious as to what you two think about um, December 21st of this year? Uh, Bears by three. (laughs) (laughs) I think that sums it up. I think the Colts are going to be out of it by then. (laughs) All right, there you have it. No, I think Chris White has pretty much done the uh, definitive work on that. It's it's, uh, a deception. It's a scam. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's intended to, it's, you know, just more spiritual. We're being eyes. programmed to, to accept something. Right. Big yeah. on that date. Right. I'm, I was just thinking too, I'm, I'm recently sort of the buzz that's been, that I've been hearing at least in sort of uh, treading through the conspiracy sort of circles is that, you know, now, now there's looking beyond 2012, you know, they're looking at, oh, something's going to happen in 2015, 2016. <laughs> yes. It's sort of like, it's oh, so you guys funny. are already preparing for the so funny. The, uh, the lack of events that are going to occur that day, except for the fact that, you know, thousands yeah. of pages are going to be complete, you know, waste. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. there are some who crave doom and there are some who serve it up. Well, they're, yeah. they're, they're looking at all the ridicule that was heaped on, uh, what was the, the, the name of the, uh, uh, the the radio minister from California who uh, predicted right. it was going to end twice last year? Yeah, last year. Yeah. Yes, uh, that was hilarious. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Now, didn't he say that it was postponed until October of this year? It was last year. It was October of October last year. Oh, was it last year? Yeah. 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 Uh, camping, Harold Camping. Yes, Harold Camping, camping. Right, right, right. Yes. So, uh, yeah, yeah he, he came up with a secondary date and that came and went. So, uh, I suspect the... December first crowd, or yeah, as you say, Gunny, they're already setting up for their fallback positions. And you know, the, uh, just a quick commentary on you know folks who set dates and stuff. It really doesn't help the community of believers and people who are trying to do this work. You know, yeah. I, I just I know for in, in the film Age of Deceit, I tried to sort of address that because it was I was making it after the fallout of of you know Harold Camping. So I definitely I mentioned it in the film, saying like, look. 
you know, so many predictions have have been made and they've failed. And so there's this sort of sour taste of prophecy, but you know, that's not the point, you know, the point isn't to set a date and know exactly when things are going to go down. So, uh, you know, that just, uh, See, that's, so put another way, what part of no man knows the day or the hour did you not understand? Right, right. Well, interestingly, I will say that that phrase actually is talking about one of the feasts um, mm-hmm. that the, do you know this, Sharon? Yes, yeah. I do. Okay. So, so, so it's not like. Yeah, it's a metaphor, not a metaphor. It's a, uh, what am I trying to say? Euphemism for uh, Feast of Trumpets. Right, hmm. exactly. And that's Feast of Trumpets actually like next week or something. It, it's coming up. It's usually in September, sometimes early October. It is um, the only feast, if I can remember correctly, that actually spans two days and sometimes three, depending on where you live in the world, because it has to be uh, two witnesses agreeing upon the sighting of the new moon. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, there's. I know some people are like, oh, the rapture's next week. So if it is, sweet. Well, you know, see you guys it's in the air. it is. And if it happened, I think that it's a good argument that it could happen during the Feast of Trumpets. I I think that makes sense. But you know what? I'm not God, and he gets to decide when it happens. Right. Yeah, personally, I believe really he's... Nobody would know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I believe he's going to be very graceful, and he's going to try to hold back uh, as long as possible to get everybody... As many people as he can save. That's, that's I just believe that. I, I was always taught, Ghani, that... God has always known exactly how many people would comprise the final body of Christ. And when that last person is saved, that's when it'll happen. Mm, that makes sense that the couple of scriptures in Revelation that talk about the number of, of saints that were, you know, martyred and things like that. So, yeah, it makes complete sense. We made sense of something here. That's great. All right. We're in agreement. One. One for me. (laughs) Well, awesome. Oh, no. Why do I have all these little tally marks all over my body? (laughs) I scratched mine into the side of my cabinet here. So that's, and it's for Doctor Who references in the show, too. I used to watch a lot more of that. I, I, I don't know if I can, can I find that on Hulu or something or is that? Oh, yeah. uh, you can find it on, uh, yeah, you can find it on Netflix and Hulu, but the brand new ones you can get the very next day on Amazon for $1.99. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well worth it. <laughs> and that was the dinosaurs on the airplane reference. Yeah, because we way. don't have cable or anything anymore. We watched the brand new one yesterday. There you go. Cool. So, a uh, little plug for those guys. <laughs> you know, uh, though, it d- did have a biblical reference because the man who was collecting all of the animals mm-hmm. was Solomon. Ah. Yeah. The Solomon. Well, you know, it's hard to say. I, it yeah. could have been the Solomon. You don't know. Well, don't you love that? <laughs> time travel. It's impossible. <laughs> it's not all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, it's been very, very fun having you on the show. So thanks for coming on. I really enjoyed this. Thank you very much for Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great, great. Derek and Sharon Gilbert, everybody, um, check them out on PIDradio.com. Thanks for listening this week to another episode of Canary Cry Radio. And as always, think outside the cage. That's the new, <laughs> that's the new music we have. Now. Outro. Ooh. Cool. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. The show notes for this episode and many others are available at canarycryradio.com. Make sure to connect and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash canarycryradio. Follow us on Twitter at canarycryradio. If you would like to share the show in video format, you can find us on YouTube by searching Canary Cry Radio. Review us on iTunes with five stars and give us a thumbs up on StumbleUpon.com. We would like to thank those of you who have given us your support, prayers, and donations. If you would like to join us and support Canary Cry Radio financially, you could do so by visiting CanaryCryRadio.com and clicking the support tab. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, remember to think outside the cage.